Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Welcome to Kudzu Vine for April 29th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shifflett. Good evening, sir. All right, Catherine, good to have you back uh, this week. Yeah, I'm sorry about last week and, and short notice, but... oh. No problems, no problems. And then um, good to have a guest uh, again this week. We'll have Doug Kaplan of Gravis Marketing, Orlando Political Observer, coming on here in about 20 minutes. So a little bit different than last week's show. We're going to talk about more of a myriad of topics instead of going in depth on virtually one thing uh, from state to state. And let's kind of start out with that. And um, I guess we we kind of toyed around a few things to talk about. Let's start out with the uh, correspondence dinner last night since it's the most topical and um, fresh thing. And um, it, it's always where it's kind of a roast. It's a political roast. They get a comedian. They got Michelle Wolf this time who's on The Daily Show. I think has some Netflix specials. And she does the humor the way she does her humor. And she kind of did a political version of that. And that if you'd heard her, it shouldn't become as – too much of a shock, but a lot of people quite got quite offended at um, how blue she was, using a comedy term. Um, and they're saying that, you know, was it appropriate? And then um, some people have even questioned, including Political Wire, has, you know, collected some places. They're saying maybe they should end this ritual. I don't think that's just because of Michelle Wolf. I think it's related to a few other things. But um, Catherine. What did you think of the performance, and what do you think of the um, uh, the reaction? Well, I didn't see all the reactions. I watched most of it. I didn't think it was particularly funny. I mean, it was sort of ordinary stand-up routine funny, uh, but I wasn't offended by it, but I'm not easily offended. Um, I just didn't think it was, um, you know, I mean, it was funny, but it wasn't, you know, hilarious. It wasn't particularly memorable, funny, but I haven't seen the criti- the critiques of it. I, I mean, I don't think uh, one poor performance or one lump, I guess he, since, did Trump go last year? Nope. No, he's here. He's position campaign rally well, somewhere I else. I don't think that's because two years in a row, the president doesn't show up as the reason to cancel it. I mean, he's just not a very good sport. So I don't think that's the case. What are the other? Well, Stephen Colbert's back in about 2006. That was, uh, that was one that people point to. Now, Stephen Colbert went on to, to get bigger heights after that, even though, um, his performance was panned as well. 
I just don't see that, that that's a reason to, you know, cancel the whole thing. I mean, it can't be perfect every year. Yeah. Tim, uh, no. Tim, uh, your thoughts. Well, it was, you know, I'm, I'm like Catherine. I'm, <laughs> I'm not offended at all, really, by racy comedy. And that's what it was, black comedy, if you will, kind of like Saturday Night Live, only with a lot more colorful metaphors, shall we say, thrown in. It, it was okay, I guess. It, it wasn't all that funny to me. It was just okay. But I noticed the crowd reaction, and it just doesn't seem to be like it used to be. Maybe the atmosphere is so poisoned in that town now, uh, so part, so hyper-partisan that, you know, one group will laugh at one thing while the other group sits there totally stony-faced. And then vice versa. It, it, it doesn't seem to be the way it used to be. Did you see the Sarah Huckabee Sanders mace? She just frankly was not amused at all. Well, she's uh, never amused she by anything. Yeah. Of those jokes. Well, yeah. Um, there, there were there were kind of three three points I noticed in the thing. One, the, the bluest thing I think that Michelle Wolf said was actually about herself. I'm, to keep this thing family friendly, I'm going to call it the yarn joke. Um, she uh-huh. made herself the butt of that joke. That was probably the bluest thing she said the whole night. Um, the thing with um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, um, it really wasn't that harsh, other than she says she just spins uh-huh. lies, which people will say that in a serious context. And then there was something about her makeup, but it was almost it wasn't derogatory about her makeup. It was almost like. She takes the lies and, and does good job with makeup, whatever. Smoky eye. Mm. I don't, I'm not a makeup aficionado, obviously. But that didn't seem to be but, a, a stab at her looks or anything. But then the third one, I will say somebody that did handle it well because they panned to him and showed him. And she said, yeah, I, I, um, I, when I go in hiding, I go by my porn star name, Rance Priebus. He busted yeah. out laughing. <laughs> he was in yeah. on the I joke and funny. handled it. Now, he did criticize her later. But he he was a good sport. So those were three moments I took uh, away from it. Did you yep. notice the applause at the end of a routine? It, it almost seemed to be more like a gasp or, or a nervous titter going through the audience. But it, it just didn't seem to be a robust type of thing, as if one group, as I said, was sitting there stony-faced while the other one was laughing. Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, the one thing that's hurting the dinner now is is the president not not showing up. If he showed up and would have a thick skin like, I don't know, everyone else, uh, it, it, it would be fine. He could he could get up there and he could make fun of some people. Uh, uh, he's pretty sarcastic when he wants to be, obviously. So, I uh, you know I don't uh, I don't know, but you know the 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 main talk about this dinner is probably not the raciness of of the of the comedian, but the, but the thing is the president is not showing up at the thing. 
uh, as if, you know, he wants to continue a war with the media or something. Yeah. Isn't that what you're gathering? Yes, I, he he just wants to – and he does have such a thick skin because, remember, I think he attended uh, one of President Obama's last right. correspondence dinner, and President Obama was the one, not the comedian at the dais, that took a few barbs at him, and he did not like it. So he has a very thin skin. Um, and so that uh, – because wasn't it the chicken? You can have the chicken or the fish, not both. That that you know that yeah. joke. Um, and he really, yeah. Trump. You know he sat he sat more stone faced at President Obama's joke than Sarah Huckabee Sanders did at um, Michelle Wolf's joke. Um, I, I do think part of it is is even though she's probably a fine comedian to pick, I don't think she had a huge name value going in because I think they like to. Probably get you know one of the late night hosts, somebody that has their own show at Comedy Central, not a correspondent. And so maybe some of the people were like, well, maybe since she's not this you know a list profile performer, we don't have to laugh at all the jokes. Do y'all think there could have been something to that, Catherine? Um, I don't know if there's. I mean, I don't know if people feel that way or if it's just that. You know, she's not an A-list performer. I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to criticize her. I mean, she has some. It's a t- that's a tough audience, and it's a tough job to stand up there and do that. So, but um, I mean, maybe they didn't laugh because she wasn't as funny as as some of the people who are have their own shows. And I mean, maybe there's a reason for that. Mm. Mm. I thought she did fine. I, I just and it probably helped her profile. She just by being able to do this was probably a winner out of it because yeah, um, she's going to get a lot of name recognition. Ka- People Catherine had never heard her tell a joke. Point. Probably now have heard her tell Catherine a joke. Had, yeah, Catherine has a point, though. I mean, she's not as funny as Chris. Chris Rock would, would rock the house. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Uh, George Carlin was just hilarious. You, you look at George Carlin and bust out life. And, uh, she's not quite to that level. And some of her stuff did fall a little flat. Some of her delivery was a little off. Uh she was reading everything which yeah, kind that of was... distracted me a little bit. She kept looking down and reading her jokes instead of looking up at the crowd enough. That that sort of thing that I guess will come with with seasoning, as she mentioned, she's barely thirty years old, and uh, she she she's got some work to do on that. But uh, um, who was it that delivered just a racy routine a few years ago when Obama was there? Um, all the Marsha, I can't think of her last name. Uh, but but it was racist, and she was hilarious. Obama busted out life, and everybody did. Maybe 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 that's what it is, guys. Maybe she just wasn't that good. Well, and I also think yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, when, when the president's not there, because yeah, part that, of the whole part of it is to spoof the president, and if he's not there, then right. it's hard to you know carry the room. Very. Yeah, and and she did kind of attack the media at one point, 
saying that they were um, they were like a girlfriend of Trump's. Uh, the way they're so obsessed with him, all that. Now that that that's tricky. I mean, he's the president; he's going to get covered. Um, mm-hmm. Although sometimes I do feel we lose some of the world news at times by how much we have, you know, four-person panel debates about everything for an hour, whereas they could cut some of that and cover some more news. Well, let's skip over to some other news, and and this is somebody I don't think he even got mentioned. It was uh, Paul Ryan. And maybe that's because he's leaving. That, that they didn't want to uh, pick on him on his way out. But um, not so much Paul Ryan. I think we've talked about him leaving. But now he's got two jobs to replace. One is him being the congressman from Wisconsin. The other is him being Speaker of the House. Now, he may get replaced there because of the party. But somebody's going to be the House head of the Republican Party. And there's some maneuvering from that. Kevin McCarthy uh, from California is thought to be the odds-on successor, but now Steve Scalise, the um, Republican congressman from Louisiana, who was, uh, you know, shot in the baseball field incident about a year ago, is also looking at it. And so they're thinking, well, does Paul Ryan continue to serve out his term as Speaker through November through January, or does he move on because he favors? Most likely McCarthy, and if McCarthy gets the votes, does he move on early? Does that mean he steps down as speaker? Does he step down from Congress? Um, Tim, what have you heard, and what are your thoughts? Um, well, first of all, I, I think someone said before you name a speaker, you have to retain a majority. <laughs> That's a good thought. Um yeah. Well, this would be for the majority of 2016. It, I, yeah, I don't think I don't think that uh, they should move to try to maneuver him out of there or replace him. Uh, I don't really see any upside to that, and I'll tell you why. That district that he's in it, it is is also a little dicey without him on the ballot. It suddenly becomes a toss-up district. If he's going to step down as speaker, I couldn't imagine where he would then agree to sit there as a backbencher until January. Uh, once you've been speaker, you, you, you're you just not going to do that. Now, I know that Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise both want the job, as you uh, mentioned, and they are they they both already started actively courting you know, other members for their votes. And I, I, I guess they're doing it just in case Ryan does quit early. Um, and who knows, just a couple of months ago, guys, Ryan insisted he was staying in the house. Yeah. Um, and, and then he comes up with this uh, thing about his family and la-di-da-di-da and, he says the combination of Trump and the tough midterms has nothing to do with him leaving. I I seriously doubt that. But I just I just don't see an upside to him stepping down right now, right in the middle of a campaign when the speaker needs to be out campaigning himself and raising money for the party. If you have a, sp- a fight for the speakership in the middle of an election campaign, it's already going to be just 
tough as it can be, I don't see an upside. Do you, Catherine? No, I don't. I think it would be a big um, logistical nightmare to try to, um, I mean, because everybody's running. All the congressmen are running. Yep. So they're, yep. they've all got to run campaigns. And then um, you start, especially if you if there's going to be a um, battle, like between Scalise and um, McCarthy, then, you know, I, I just, I would think that um, Republican leadership would be like, wait a minute, you know, we, we can't do this now. Um, maybe they wait until after the election and don't let them, you know, play out through January but and just do it right after the election, uh, depending on, you know, who, where the power lies. But I just can't see the, um, I, again, don't see the benefit in doing it now. Yeah, um, I, I think a lot of times Republicans, the big sin in their party is they can't handle somebody that loses. Well, they're going to probably lose no matter which of those three gentlemen is speaker because that's not what this election is going to be decided on. It's going to be decided on people's feelings of Donald Trump or the party in general. So therefore, you pretty much know you're going to take a loss. Well, if you go ahead and install McCarthy, install um, Solace prior to November, and then the party loses and they go from Speaker of the House to Majority Leader, would there then be a move to make – to oust them? And I say majority. I should have said minority leader. Would there be a move to oust them um, because they have the loss on their hands, whereas if, if Paul Ryan just runs out the clock, he'll go on anyway, and they don't have to send somebody on? Um, Tim, what do you think of that scenario? Well, that is very possible, and I'm going to tell you why. Because uh, as as uh, as you and Catherine both just mentioned, there could be a pretty savage fight for for the speakership, and it could split the caucus. It could split the party somewhat. Therefore, the survivor, the person who becomes speaker, would. Uh, probably be the first person they would blame in case the election goes off the rails and people are looking for a scapegoat, which, of course, they will be doing. I really think they should wait until the election to see what their caucus is even going to do. It, it would be better for, 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 certainly for them, but it would. I think it would be better for us if, if they had this uh, – big fight right now so yeah but I, I think they may be smart enough Catherine will they be smart enough to wait or go ahead and just do this well I hope they'll be smart enough to wait because then they can just make um, Ryan the scapegoat and we could all enjoy that <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean not that the right, other two are any better but any yeah. loss they can blame on him yeah, and, and what's funny is I think Donald Trump will be happy to blame the loss on Paul Ryan. I heard something somebody said, you know, what's Paul Ryan's legacy going to be? He wants it to be this policy guru for conservative um, supply side ideals, um, kind of a you know extension of Jack Kemp. But as in the last year and a half, he's become known also as the Trump enabler, and I, I don't know how he shakes that. Um, even in the last few months, um, how much would he have to buck Trump to not be the seen as also the Trump enabler? I don't know if there's any way. 
Uh, let's get back to that district. Um, Randy Bryce, uh, iron worker, he was seen as the most likely Democratic nominee. He was raising money. He was poised to take on Paul Ryan for the seat. He didn't care, so I'm assuming he takes his money. He may not raise as much money going forward, but he's gotten a whole lot more money than he would have to try to win this seat. Um, the, the Republican that's come out, they keep saying he's Paul Ryan's you know, former driver. They ain't like it's some kid now that, that you know, runs an Uber. But, I mean, the guy did go back and get his law degree. So, it's not, I mean, I think he did this early in Paul Ryan's time. Uh, so he's a Paul Ryan protege, but he has gone on and advanced his career, to be fair to him. Those are seen as the, the you know, odds-on favorites to be the two-party nominees. Tim, is this thing winnable by the Democrats without Paul Ryan's name on it? Yeah, I think it. I think it becomes more winnable, uh, regardless yeah. of what people were trying to say to talk this race up. I think Ryan was fairly popular in that district, and would have probably won even in a bad year by you know seven to ten points, uh, which would have been close in his district. But I, I, I that would have been about it. But now. I, I think uh, Charlie Cook has it, I believe, is a toss-up. So I, I, that's where I'm at on it. Yeah, it would be interesting. Catherine? I agree with that. I think I think him not being in the race it, it gives the advantage to us. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, I think we may have time to move on to another topic. Uh, we'll just see. And I don't have the cross tabs pulled up, so y'all going to help me. I'll do what I can as we talk. But the AJC in Atlanta just came out with a new poll of the governor's race on both sides. And honestly, this race is neither one looked that close. Um, the Republican one seems to get more attention and, um, and the media, I guess, because that's because the last two governors have been Republicans. Um, but Casey Cagle seems to be holding his lead. Um, like I said, I'm trying to look, but I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Tim, I have a sneaking feeling you do, and Catherine, you may as well. Um, Tim, do you have those numbers in front of you? I'm trying to get them up right now. Give me a second. Oh, well, we're all in the same boat, and there's a reason I didn't have them quite there. But I want to say that Casey Cagle was around 38. I don't know why that um, – yeah, I texted y'all with it, but uh, that doesn't do me any good on my phone. Um, that Casey Cagle was around, you know, 38%. And so he was doing, um, and, and that put him a big lead on everybody else in the Republican primary. No one's really ca- uh, caught hold, Brian Kemp or Hunter Hill or um, uh, I know Michael Williams in the race. He really hadn't caught, caught hold. And um, Clay Tippin, so. Uh, they say these guys are running ads, but I've yet to see anybody but Casey Cagle, who has run an ad on Saturday Night Live um, the last two times they've had new shows, which I thought was kind of a, a, an odd place to put an ad for a Republican primary candidate. Um, but um, I tell you, if, if you got them pulled up, that's fine. Otherwise, I think we can kind of talk in general. Oh, here we go. Here, Well, here's the results of the GOP poll, if you will. Um, and I'm trying to pull it up, but hey, Casey Cagle leading. Catherine, are you surprised or, or not surprised that Casey Cagle continues to lead by a 
41% margin was even bigger than I remember. Or he has 41%. I'm not surprised at all. I think a lot of it is name recognition. Um, but it doesn't surprise me. I think he's the, I think he's always been the favorite. Yeah, and I kind of looked. The next closest candidate is Brian Kemp, and the don't know is 33. So if Brian Kemp, mm-hmm. which odds are you don't, you don't do this, were to get every bit of the don't know and everybody else stays the same, he would just be two points ahead of Casey Cagle. Odds are that they split that don't know vote rather evenly, and that uh, could even put Casey Cagle in without a runoff. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, well that that's what that's what they want to do is is keep Cagle in a runoff because things change a little bit when there's a runoff. So you want to keep Cagle right. under fifty. Uh, I would think. Right now, that he, he look, if this poll's true, he looks uh, like a good bet to get over fifty. I I'm shocked that Kemp's not doing any better. Uh, uh, I'm just stunned at it. I I would thought you know he would do better than ten percent, but uh, uh, you mentioned the ads. Cagle is basically in his ad tying himself to the governor, who remains very popular. I'm looking at these. Mm-hmm. Uh, cross tabs now he's very popular so yeah well and here's the thing I, you can actually it's pretty neat you can take different demographics and click them and for republicans right. i click 65 up voters those are people that are going to show up to vote even if they're democrats yeah. they show up to vote old people vote um casey cagle goes up to 43 percent hunter hill does a little better yeah. he goes up to 11 um and the don't know goes down to 31 so if Casey Cagle's doing good with that group, that helps a lot. Um, so that'll be interesting. See, also you mentioned uh, – let me go back to everybody in total. Uh, when you compare Donald Trump's approval rating and Nathan Deal's, Donald Trump has 16% disapproval rating in the Republican Party. I mean, obviously, if that was the state as a whole, that wouldn't be real meaningful, or that, or that would be kind of shocking, I should say. But in the Republican Party, he has 16% disapproval. That's not really great for him. And then Nathan Deal has 7% disapproval. So Nathan Deal is much more popular in the state of Georgia among Republicans than Donald Trump is. Um, So that's a factor here. There's another interesting fact on the um, Democratic side when we get into that. Um, And uh, there's just a lot of information here. Catherine, is there any of these candidates, what is their route to getting into a runoff? I mean, do you see a path? I, I don't – I'm not sure. I mean, that Brian – I mean, I think the only possibility is Brian Kemp, and I'm not sure what the path is. But, you know, with Deal being so popular and Cagle, uh, you know, trying to sort of – Attach himself to Deal. I don't think Kemp can criticize Deal, but if he tries to get on the Deal bandwagon, he's just going to look like a faker. So I don't know what the I don't know what the strategy is, unless it's just you know assume that that oh. don't knows are going to split evenly across, and so that he still won't get to fifty. Yeah, 
Um, and so I think you're right about, you know, running with deal is a seems to be a decent strategy at this point. Um, Tim, your thoughts? On, well, you have a path. Uh, I, 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 you know, normally you would say the path has got to be advertising, but you know what, Cagle right now. His campaign is going to spend four and a half million dollars on advertising by primary day. He's going to saturate television with ads, um, and and Kemp's ads. I guess he needs to get another subject. He's he's ran some ads on a limited basis, not the statewide type stuff, but. His ads have focused on one subject only, illegal immigration, whereas Cagles is, is, is focusing, is, his first ad's called Difference, uh, where he basically, like I said, ties himself to the governor. It's an economic uh, success story type of ad, and uh, not to mention that he mentions the word conservative in it about ten times covering all the bases there for the Republicans. So I, I, I don't see where anybody gets in. Their, their one, one hope is is to, you know, all pick up two or three points so they can keep him in a runoff and uh, everybody else run for second place and hope they're the guy that finishes second. I, I don't know what else to tell them because he, it's going to be hard to overcome him now. Yeah, I, I just don't think there's any path. So I think you're looking – at a Casey Cagle nomination, and the fact that you're looking at it maybe without a runoff, I, I wouldn't have thought that uh, three to five months ago. But it would be quite impressive if he pulls it off. And then we can talk about, you know, down the road, how does that affect the general. Now, on the Democratic side, I kind of think we it's hard to get a runoff with two candidates. Um, even if they are vote both very strong, you can't really get a runoff when you got two because somebody's going to get over 50 and somebody's going to get under 50. Because um, if there is another candidate on the Democratic side, um, they've done a very there good job there. hiding. Um, I don't even know if they've been polled on this poll. In fact, there, isn't, they hadn't. there isn't another um, but, one. There is not another one. There isn't. I mean, you know how you always have the Jim Boyds or something that come out of the woodwork? There isn't. Well, before I even get to, uh, before I get to the breakdown of that thing, let me go to this. Um First, I wanted to. I just want to wonder about something. It says, do you approve or disapprove of the way Donald Trump is handling his job as president? Ninety percent of Democrats in the state of Georgia uh, disapprove, but seven percent approve. Um, Tim, Catherine, have you met any of these people, the Democrats that approve of Donald Trump as president? Yes, I, I know. I know. You met them? Two elected officials up here. That okay. that. I'm pretty yeah. sure both. I'm almost certain voted for him because they they brag on him. Yeah, so they exist. I just didn't know there'd yeah. be as many. Catherine, have you run into any of these creatures? Um, I haven't run into them, but I think the argument might be, um, and I've heard people say that that um, he he is doing what he said he was going to do. I don't see that, <laughs> but. But um, that's one of the arguments I've heard is that you might not like what he's doing, but he said he was going to, you know, do this and that, and he's doing it. So there's some respect for that. I don't really 
I don't really see that he's done anything, accomplished anything. But if I mean, if but you that, feel like he's accomplished something, and it's what he said he was going to do, then I can see how you might. I mean, I know it's a long argument, but that's one of the arguments I've heard. Do these same Do these same people give arsonist uh, initiative awards? I mean, you know, they said they were going to burn it down, and they did. So they really got some great well, that, thoughts. Right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, now let's get to, to the one that I do think really is going to impact um, the, the general election. Do you approve or disapprove of the way Nathan Deal is handling his job as governor? This is of Democrats. 48% approve, 42% disapprove. He is right side up in the de- among Democratic voters in Georgia by 8%, or I'm sorry, 6%. Um, Tim, first, are you shocked? And then, be, or, and second, how did this happen? Yeah, uh, a little bit surprised. Uh, I, I, th- I think the answer is simple. Uh, the governor has been the beneficiary of the national economy. Um, it Basically, his entire tenure, we've been in a major economic recovery, and and of course, every executive in every state is going to be a beneficiary of that, unless he's a complete idiot and somehow still manages to to screw it up. So, uh, the entire tenure of Nathan Dill as governor uh, has featured a good economy, and that is the first thing people vote is their pocketbook. So. Um, I, I think that's the answer, the economy. Uh, but um, uh, another thing, he's in his last year, too, and, and sometimes uh, governors in their last year get high marks as well. Catherine, any thoughts on this? Um, I, I think Tim's right. I, I think that's part of it. I also think, and this is a very like narrow thing, but I do think that the um, boom in the film industry in Georgia has really helped Nathan Deal. I, whenever I hear people talking about it, um, they talk about the governor and how he made these tax breaks for the movie industry and how it's really helped. And, you know, I think people like seeing um, Georgia in movies. You know, they go to the movies, oh, that's, you know, Peachtree Center, or I work there, or, you know, I know where that is. I think people like that. I think there's a certain um, cachet to having all these movie stars in Atlanta and I think that and I think that Nathan Deal gets a lot of credit for that and so I think I think that's just a small part of it but I think that there is a bit of that yeah I I was thinking the same thing I think the movies I think also you can add the recruitment of business and then just in the last few weeks they fully funded QBE the first time since yeah, Roy true. Barnes was governor. Um, and, and so that's just come on. And, and so he's got several things working in his favor um, that have all kind of come together all at once. Um, and, and so we'll kind of see how that goes. Um, and I also I do think this. This is a guy that was a Democrat both in the state legislature and the Congress for a while. And maybe he's – because he's been in both parties – He's not as overly partisan as a lot of Republicans in particular are or newer politicians, and at times he may have said, let's get things done and not try to have such a partisan narrative to it. 
and that may have helped him as well. Before I get uh, further into the Georgia governor's race, though, we got a caller. I want to make sure it's not our guest. Um, Doug, is that you? Hello? Is this Hello? Doug? Doug Kaplan? Yeah. Hello, is this Doug uh, Kaplan? Yes, this is Doug. You Hello? sound a little different, Doug. Hey, hey, I'm going to let you go there, buddy. Um, I, it was a number that I did not recognize out of Florida, and I don't know if I think y'all remember Doug's voice. It didn't quite have as much southern twang in it, um, if I remember correctly. Um, also, I've got Doug's phone number in my thing, and that's not it. Um, so, let me, we, we've gotten one of these uh, random callers in a while, have we? Mm-mm. No. But it would yeah. be interesting know, if well, that random get... caller – it would be interesting if that guy that did just called if his name really was Doug because you were asking him if it was Doug. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but he kind of like, uh, yeah, I'm Doug. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, Doug. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's You know, we've had some callers here and there, but uh, usually we reserve it for our guests the way we structure it. Well, let's get into the um, Georgia governor's race on the Democratic side. And the poll shows Stacey Abrams with 33%, Stacey Evans with 15 the undecideds at 52 a huge undecided number. Um, Catherine, any thoughts on why the undecided number is so big in this race? I just think a lot of people are um, torn between two Stacys. I think, um, you know, they're both probably – equally competent to serve as governor. They have very similar outlooks. They're, you know, I, I think um, Stacey Abrams probably has higher um, name recognition, which is probably part of the reason that she's got higher numbers, but also she's been on the campaign trail a lot longer than Stacey Evans has. Um, so, uh, but I think a lot of people are, I mean, even some of my closest friends are, you know, just don't, I haven't decided yet. Yeah. Kim, um, the undecided's winning right now, but obviously somebody's got to choose their Stacey. Um, yeah. What's your thoughts? Well, um, they they also asked the question, of course, how focused are you on the race? And 50% of the voters said only a little or not at all right now. It, it's, it's almost as if, they haven't uh, tuned in to the thing yet, a lot of them. Uh, it has seemed to be a rather low-profile race this year. Um, not a lot of massive headlines in the race. Uh, so, I, so I don't know if the voters are really tuned in yet. I'm not surprised at Abrams having that lead because of her, you know, metro area base while Evans is, you know, from from North Georgia. Um, I, I, I think Catherine is right also, is that a lot of people have not made their minds up. And how many people have we seen on the social media especially say, you know, I love both Stacey's, but I'm going to vote for this or that one, but the other one would be fine too. Uh, it, 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 it's like there's not a bitter divide 
among the supporters of these two candidates, or I'm not seeing that, or I'm not sensing it, or nobody is telling me, you know, I love my candidate and hate the other one. You're, you're not seeing that either, are you? No, and the, and the race, all the ads we've seen have been positive. They've been positive biotype spots. Um, you know, Stacey Evans did the, she released on the internet the long version. She's done cut-ups of that commercial, and to me, the uh-huh. cut-ups of the thirty uh, the thirty seconds to be continued have not been as effective as the long video. Um, Stacy uh, Abrams, I've seen several ads run in the last week or two um, from PAX, because and it was almost the exact same ad in two t- in the two different times it was paid for or the content responsible was a different pack, even though they looked very similar. And they were both black and white ads for the most part. Maybe uh, sepia, you know, filter. It wasn't a full-color ad, which I thought was unusual. I mean, maybe it catches your attention um, because you got to break through the filter of somebody fast-forwarding their DVR these days. Um, But but I did notice that contract. A contrast. Did you notice something else? Both Stacey Evans and Stacey Abrams' ad tended to be more, hello, I'm introducing myself to the voters, this is who I am type ads, whereas on the Republican side, the ads were more issue-oriented, especially with, with Casey Cagle because of his name recognition, Right? Yeah. I don't know. I think Casey yeah, Cagle's he, ad is a little, a little bit introductory. He talks about his single mom, and he talks about, um, you know, working hard and um, leading. I, I mean, I think they're, this is the time when they do the introductory ads. Um, my impression of the Stacey's ads is that um, Stacey Abrams' ads seem to be um, um, you know, in my, like, there's one where she says in my family, Saturdays were service days and we, you know, helped people or whatever. And that's what she wants to do, you know? Um, whereas, and, and Evans is a little bit that way, but it's there. It seems like Evans is more about herself and what she's going to do. Whereas Abram seems to be more about, um, I mean, obviously, it's about herself, but uh, but what we're going to do together. And I think that it's a different um, tone. It's just a choice that you make when you're making an ad. But that's what it feels like to me. Um, Evans has taken the Hope Scholarship as her strong issue that she keeps hammering. Uh, in her commercials, along with the public school, she mentions uh, meeting Zell Miller and, and all this and that and the other, and how the Hope Scholarship helped her. Stacey Abrams' ad, his, her first statewide ad was called uh, Boundless Belief, I believe. And it is a more generalized thing, looking to the future where we all walk into it together. So one one candidate seems to be generalizing while the other one is hitting a specific issue to push a button. Yeah. Yeah, and and I and what's so funny is that Stacy 
um, um, Evans touches the Hope Scholarship, but she never really, you know, mentions much about Zell Miller, although I've heard it mentioned, I guess, in a speech. And I got to thinking because, you know, Zell Miller passed away a few weeks ago, and I think we had the week off, so we really didn't get to talk about that. Set aside Zell Miller, the senator, because obviously he was um, much more controversial as a senator and said some things we probably didn't like and agree with. But take Zell Miller, the governor, and honestly, um, from a teacher perspective and a parent of kids, um, if you could say, look, I want to – we could have a modern day. Somebody's going to do eight years of, you know, making the Hope Scholarship better, uh, you know, whatever the next version of pre-K is. That doesn't mean pre-three um, necessarily, but we're going to do that. Um, we're going to raise teacher pay. I mean, he raised teacher pay like four straight years, three to five percent raises, uh, took ta- tax off of food. All these things that were very popular, um, you know, gave him that legacy. And obviously he had to pass the lottery, and that's a one-time thing. You probably can't come up with a, a new lottery to come up with new funds. But if somebody could come in and say, look, I'm going to be four and hopefully eight more years of Zell Miller, I think that would be a big selling point. I, I don't know how you get that done. And I do think that would be a big selling point across the aisle. Um Tim or Kat, I guess we'll go Tim first, then Catherine. Is there any way that somebody could try to attach their um, campaign to the legacy of Zell Miller, the governor? Well, I think everybody's going. Everybody on both sides is going to try that. Certainly, no one is going to say anything. Uh, going to say a negative word about Zell Miller, I don't think in this campaign the republicans can't because of his time as senator i don't think the democrats can because he was one of the state's most successful governors in the modern era um what what is beginning to worry me is i see this polling and and i'm wondering if casey cagle can be beat at all I mean, I'm serious. I know I know it's still early. I know we don't have our nominees yet. I know a lot can happen. I know that Trump can manage to screw anything up. But Cagle looks like he has a very good campaign going. Uh, and he's got a boatload of money. Uh, and he's got, looks like he's got a governor on his side, so... Uh, Gonna be hard to. Gonna be hard to Tim, I wanna, I wanna, yeah, I wanna attend to that, but I wanna be fair to Catherine. Catherine, um, it was. Is there a way that somebody could try to uh, pull in the legacy of Zell Miller in this campaign? I think it would. I think it would be a huge mistake. Most of the people don't know. Don't. I mean, Zell Miller hasn't been governor for what twenty years. Yeah, over twenty years. Yeah, it's been a, while. a whole bunch of. A whole bunch of voters who don't know who he is, a whole bunch of voters who um, may know who uh, – I mean, let's just talk about Democrats. A whole bunch of Democrats, young Democrats, don't know anything about him. I'm not talking about young Democrats in the organization, but younger Democratic voters. And then you've got um, you know, the more progressive Democrats who recognize – that may know about his contributions for the Hope Scholarship and the tax on food, but his later legacy of being, 
you know, kind of crazy right-wing wacko um, are going to wonder about um, you're going to have to uh, carefully manage that kind of messaging so that people aren't associating your, your, um, your, you know, sort of attachment to his legacy as to his legacy as a Senator. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, um, that some of the things that he did are not worth revisiting. And um, I think that's what Stacey Evans is doing. I will say that I think um, Stacey Evans, um, I have a lot of respect for her. I think her continual focus on the Hope Scholarship is um, a little tiresome. I think we need to, she needs to expand her, um, her messaging to include, you know, more than just the Hope Scholarship and education. Or why isn't she just running for superintendent well, of education? Well, well, she well, she probably needs to tie it together to maybe the reason that Amazon yeah. is thinking of coming here. Pandora came here, here is because we have a superior education system to most of the southern states around us. Now, I'm not going to say we have a superior education in Minnesota and um, New York and different places, but as far as southern states, and we did that way before Zell Miller. I mean, Carl Sanders and stuff. Right. That, that they, they they made that a priority that we we're going to be a different state. But but the Hope Scholarship is part of that. And maybe you tie it into economic development, which in that same poll right. is a huge um, issue as well. And and those two things tie together. Um, you know, is environment. Um, guys, Tim, you let's get back to what you want to talk. Let's make your point, and then we'll get back to what you brought up. Oh, Kegel. Uh, well, uh, yeah. First I, I of mean, all, I, I, I need to need to say this. Abrams has outraised Evans three to one. Now, unlike the Republican side, <clears throat> I think on the Democratic side, Evans has got to sink every dollar she can into mass advertising, uh, getting her face in front of the whole state. For the next three weeks, because three weeks is all she got. If she's facing an 18-point deficit in a uh, against a candidate who has a a base of a strong base of voters in the metro area where you know two thirds of the state's residents live, uh, she's got a problem on her hands. And I think television is 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 the only answer for her. That being said, you know we were talking about. Um, looking ahead to the general election, or I was alluding to it. And I think that uh, Casey Cagle is going to be very difficult to beat. For one thing, there's no way to outspend him. He he has got a lot of money, um, and then a lot more where that came from. He's going to have a very popular governor on his side. Um, he's in a state where, oh, I don't know, maybe – Close to half the voters, if you put Democrats and Republicans together, close to half the voters approve of Trump and uh, a little over half the voters disapprove. So that might be a wash. So how do you beat him? What, what, what is go- Unless there is this massive weight on the way, and it would have to be massive now, I'm uh, – I'm not very hopeful about the general election, David. I'll be honest with you. Uh, 
I'm really not either. And and I'll tell you, because I really think that Casey Cagle setting himself up to not let this his election be a referendum on Trump, even if, and I think this is one of the staples of the Abrams campaign that I've heard, is they're going to get all these new voters that don't traditionally vote out, and they're going to get them all out. But then if you begin to lose Democratic voters because they approve of Nathan Deal and they see Casey Cagle as safe and you lose those votes, then they're going to kind of negate all those um, you know, those voters you added to the um, rolls and the polls on the, on the, you know, I guess you'd say the left side. I do still think you have to appeal and bring people over whichever side it is. Um, I just think that's how elections are decided. Um, you ha- there's a persuadable group of voters, and you have to um, – either the other party comes so toxic or you persuade them over, and sometimes it's a combination. I think the other party is going to be pretty toxic on the national level, but we have to set ourselves up to persuade on the other way. Catherine, how, well, how do you, do do you feel about the general? Oh, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm I think ambivalent, Casey Evans but, is running that campaign, but she ain't going to get there. Tim, I mean, Catherine? I'm ambivalent. I'm uh, I'm a little bit concerned, but I do think that um, there has been a lot of work done um, across the state um, by, non, by a variety of organizations doing voter registration of people who haven't, haven't aren't, aren't um, reliable, um, voters in the in what in other than presidential elections, and I'm optimistic about some of that work. And then I'm I'm also optimistic that um, when it comes down to the election, that people who supported um, Stacey Evans, if she doesn't get the nomination, that they will wholeheartedly support Stacey Abrams and by so um, whereas I'm not sure I'm not as sure about that with the Republicans I think it's very possible that some Republicans could be like oh what the heck I don't really like Casey Cagle I'm not going to vote yeah I I do think that the Democratic candidates will their supporters will come together I just think there's a pool of voters that either a they can be persuaded for Democrats in higher offices but they may pick a Republican ballot up because of the local races, whoever's running for clerk of court or sheriff or county commissioner, and those a lot of places those ballots are now decided in the Republican primary, and they're going to vote on those things, but then they can be persuaded back on a higher office, and some of those folks only vote in generals. Um, so I think that's uh, kind of where it gets to be. Um, Tim, you were saying, how do you do that? I think some of what um, Stacey Evans is doing is kind of a – more of a general election strategy. The one problem is it ain't going to win you the Democratic primary, so she ain't going to get there to to use it, if you will. Now, can Stacey Abrams then pick up on some of that and use it? I don't know. I don't know that she's even interested in it because everything I've heard is we're going to add all these new voters to the role, and we don't need the voters in the middle. Um, and I just, I just I'm, I mean, show me if it works. I'll say I was wrong. Um, Tim, do you have a route that you that figure out how to win a, that a you general just election? Mentioned, 
that strategy that you just mentioned, I think, is enough to garner the nomination. But I don't think it does you much good in the general election. Uh, there was one thing that the Democratic and Republican voters in this polling had in common. You know what it is? They both dislike Congress strongly. Now, I don't know. You know, Cagle's going to set himself up as the successor to deal. That, 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 that's what he's going to do. That's the campaign he's run. He's going to throw out all these economic facts and figures. Somehow, if we nationalize these congressional elections, we've got to tie guys like Cagle to it, and perhaps they will get washed away in the way. That's the only way I can see us winning the governor's race this year. Yeah, I mean, it'll have to be a national trend or something it comes up. And we got a long time before that. I, That's and, true. and, you know, you, I'm just so it, – it's such a weird thing now that the um, primaries are in May instead of they used to be in June, the runoffs in July. get a much longer campaign that worked into the summer. Now we kind of will be decided – um, before uh, school gets out and summer gets started good. So um, I guess that will kind of impact the um, arc of the race in a different way. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if either side gets negative in the next, uh, what, roughly three weeks before the primary mm-hmm. on either side. Yeah. Because you think those Republicans would have to try to pull down um, Cagle, and then I don't know – how negative ads on the Democratic side would be perceived, to me it might be like throwing a ball against the wall. It's going to come back at you harder. Um, So therefore, I I don't know how you finesse that. Um, And so, and you know, a lot of times, like there was a negative story about one Democratic candidate. It was in the newspapers. I don't think you have to run ads on it because it was in the newspapers to where it was in the news so people can make their own decision on that. Um, you know, run the ad on it may not help you any. Well, um, kind of got back to our roots tonight. We started off as a mainly Georgia political show. We spent a good 30-plus minutes on Georgia politics, so that was fun. Um, Till next week. Been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world. America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice.